Well Within Reach is brought to you by Riverside MyChart, your simple, secure, and confidential online health connection. With just a click, Riverside MyChart lets you stay well connected to the same information your doctor sees. You can request prescription refills, pay your bills, schedule your next appointment, and more. Manage your care from your laptop, tablet, or phone. Whether for yourself, your kids, or the grandparents, MyChart makes your busy life just a little easier. Learn more and enroll today at RiversideMyChart.org. Just another way to stay well connected from Riverside Healthcare. Riverside Healthcare puts the health and wellness information you need well within reach. Hello and welcome from wherever you're tuning in and thanks for listening to the Well Within Reach podcast series by Riverside Healthcare. My name is Scott Liscom. I'm going to be your host today. I'm joined by Dr. Joshua Miller, uh, MD and PhD in general orthopedics. As I mentioned, Dr. Miller is a general orthopedic surgeon at Riverside Orthopedic Specialists. Dr. Miller received his Doctor of Medicine degree from the University of California in San Francisco and completed an internship in general surgery, an orthopedic surgery residency, and a research fellowship in orthopedic surgery at the University of Michigan System in Ann Arbor. Dr. Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Today we're discussing rotator cuff injury and repair, but before we jump into that, I was wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you decided to focus in orthopedic care. Oh, that's a great question. I am an orthopedic surgeon, and I recently moved here about a year ago from the University of Michigan, and I focus on uh, disorders of the shoulder and uh, the hip and the knee and the ankle, and it was something that it just grabbed me in medical school. I think I liked... uh, Every discipline that I that I um, came across in medicine, I really liked it a lot, and I probably could have been happy doing any of them. But once I did an orthopedic rotation, I, I just never looked back from that. It was hmm. just a great thing. Yeah, very interesting. Well, as I mentioned, we're uh, talking about rotator cuff injury and repair today. Um, And I'm sure any of our listeners who may have had a rotator cuff injury would know it can be an extremely painful injury to have. Close to 2 million people in the U.S. uh, went to their doctors over the last year because of a rotator cuff problem. Um, And the injuries, from what I understand, are most often in people who perform repeated overhead motions, either on their job or in sports. And so, Dr. Miller, I was wondering if you could provide maybe a general explanation of what the rotator cuff is and what the functions are that it plays in the shoulder. Yeah, so the the upper extremity and the shoulder in particular is a really interesting joint because it's very different than the lower extremity. In the lower extremity, we have a very large ball and socket joint that uh, attaches the um, lower limb to the pelvis through the hip joint. And it's a very deep ball, um, a very deep socket and a large ball that gives you a lot of range of motion, but extremely good stability. And in the shoulder, the shoulder, the entire upper extremity is attached to the rest of your body only through a very, very small joint. And the rest of the attachment is really muscular. So the shoulder is very dependent on muscle balance. And many of the problems around the shoulder are as a result of imbalance. And sometimes that actually involves an injury or a tear in a tendon. So for example, the rotator cuff is a set of muscles that originates from the shoulder blade, the front and the back and the top of the shoulder blade. 
and they extend out and wrap around the ball of the humerus and form a cuff of tendon there. And the shoulder joint, unlike the hip joint, is a ball in a socket, but it's a very shallow, flat socket, and that has the potential for tremendous motion but it's intrinsically unstable, unlike that hip joint. And therefore, the um, rotator cuff, its prime job is to, as the ball slips out of place, it contracts and it balances the ball and centers it back on the, on the socket. A very important part of that is balancing the big power muscle of the shoulder, which is the deltoid muscle. And the deltoid it gives you the power to raise your arm, but its prime direction of pull is basically up. And so without the function of the rotator cuff, the ball will rise in the socket and it will impinge against the structures in the superior part of the of the socket. And so the rotator cuff pulls downward and it balances that out. It also probably plays a role in initiating the uh, movement of the arm away from the body uh, to the point where the big muscle, the deltoid, can take over and, and finish the job of raising it. Hmm. So a lot of range of motion with that rotator cuff, a lot of muscle and tendon there. So with that being said, the complexity of the rotator cuff, those muscles and tendons, is how easy is it to tear one of those muscles or tendons within the rotator cuff? Great question. And I think it's really important to talk about two different types of injury to the to the rotator cuff. So actually getting a tear in the rotator cuff, and it's generally that one we talked about on the top. Mm-hmm. The, the cuff in the front and the cuff in the back can get torn, but those are more unusual and really kind of a different situation. But for the top one, which is called the supraspinatus, that is actually torn uh, sort of as a normal part of the aging process. So wow. if we looked at every 80-year-old in the world, many, many, many of them would have a rotator cuff tear, but very, very, very few of them would actually have any pain or symptoms. So we know we could do MRI scans on people with no symptoms at all, um, and the older they are, the more likely they would be to have a hole in the rotator cuff. Now, how can you have a hole in your cuff and not have symptoms? It's because what we talked about before, it's the balance of the muscles around the shoulder. So if the muscles in the front and the back are intact and they are strong and they're balancing out the other muscles around the shoulder, you can have a perfectly normal functioning shoulder, full range of motion and no pain even though there is that hole in the, in the supraspinatus. So, so um, we call that a tear, but it's more of kind of a degenerative thing uh, that can happen normally with time. Now, some people can have a tear for a very long time and have a normal functioning shoulder, um, but something will change and will set that off and they can start to have symptoms again. Hmm. And then usually by retraining the muscles around the shoulder and that strengthening the rotator cuff, but also very, very important, the muscles around the shoulder blade that control the position and the motion of the shoulder blade Mm -hmm. are tremendously important in this process. And we're learning more and more about that all the time. Hmm. And we can generally get people back to a healthy, normal functioning shoulder without much pain. Now, let's contrast that to somebody who had a completely normal rotator cuff, Mm -hmm. and then they had an injury And that led to a tear. Mm -hmm. In older people, that might not be that 
uh, difficult to get a tear in the cuff because it may be already partially damaged or there may have already been a hole, but now it grew in size. Hmm. Let's contrast that with a younger person. A younger person with a very healthy rotator cuff, it's really hard to tear that. It can be done. High energy injury, you know, uh, high fall, uh, motor vehicle accident, even a young person can get a rotator cuff tear. And we treat that very differently. If it's an acute injury, we would like to make that diagnosis and talk to that patient about a repair Mm -hmm. because the rate of healing is very high if we can do it early in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And for a young person... A healed rotator cuff tear is highly desirable. A group that we're particularly worried about is if we see people who are 40 or older Mm -hmm. and they have a dislocation, Hmm. a shoulder dislocation, there's a very high rate of rotator cuff tear in that population. Again, that is a young person. They have very good capacity for healing. And if we can fix that tear early, uh, we have a good chance of getting it to heal and getting them their best shoulder moving forward. So as people get older, it gets easier to tear it. And Mm -hmm. again, it becomes more of just kind of the, the natural aging process. The other thing that happens is as um, people get older, they lose the ability to heal that tear. So you've probably you know heard of people who were elderly and started having problems with their shoulder and they had a rotator cuff tear and they did the therapy and injections and mm-hmm. you know we often refer to that as bursitis. Okay. Uh, so people get injections for that and people can do really well with that and go along for quite some time um, and and uh, and have a good functioning shoulder. But some people don't respond to that. Mm-hmm. In that situation, we often discuss rotator cuff repair surgery the interesting thing about it is you know the older you are the less likely it is to heal and so we do the rotator cuff repair surgery and it very often doesn't heal but yet 90% of people get good pain relief and get back to where they were and um, so it's a very successful um, operation mm-hmm. I guess I went a little bit off topic there no, that's but uh, very you know good information to to have, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, depending on age, you know, several other factors, activity level, um, just lifestyle in general, you may have some people where over time that rotator cuff just kind of wears. They may not even know that there's an injury there. Other people could be an immediate uh, reaction or response to an injury. Correct. What are some steps? You know, I know there's a full gamut of... Um, injury there, but what are some of the steps in identifying that you may have a rotator cuff injury? Yeah, good question. Good question. So so um, if it's that acute tear we mm-hmm. were talking about, that's a big injury. Most people are going to seek medical attention, mm-hmm. um, especially if they had a dislocation. Okay. A true dislocation is very hard to reduce that. Some people have been able to reduce a shoulder dislocation on their own, put it back in the socket. But in general, you're going to go to the emergency room. And in that setting, probably some sort of imaging study will be ordered, uh, MRI scan or an ultrasound or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, then it would very quickly be brought to our attention. And then we would talk to people about how they want to manage that. For that atraumatic tear, so more of that degenerative tear, generally the symptoms are pain, as you mentioned before, working overhead. Mm 
So when people have a symptomatic rotator cuff tear, they're often fine down below the level of their shoulder. Um, but as they work more away from their body and particularly going above the level of the shoulder, you know, into cabinets or things like that, and particularly people who are, you know, hammering above their head or those types of activities, they tend to have pain with that. The pain is sort of in the top and front area of the shoulder and that particular constellation of symptoms we refer to as impingement mm-hmm. um, and also sometimes people call that bursitis uh, that relates to that pinching that we talked about before mm-hmm. when the cuff's not doing its job mm-hmm. or the shoulder blade is has an abnormal motion pattern that causes the ball to pinch against the bone in the top of the shoulder mm-hmm. and maybe pinch that cuff. Rotator cuff tear in some people uh, can actually cause pain in and of itself. Most people's pain with a cuff tear is this impingement mm-hmm. pain. But pain in the cuff itself is usually felt, interestingly, more in the arm, on the side of the arm. Now, up around the shoulder, but it's kind of a different kind of pain. And um, those people may be less likely to do well with conservative management, mm-hmm. but can still do well with conservative management. Those are probably the two biggest tip-offs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So now we know how to identify symptoms related to rotator cuff injury. Looking into treatment for that, potentially surgery, sounds like surgery for a rotator cuff injury could be more advanced than other types of surgery uh, because of the importance of mobility, complexity of the shoulder. Have there been any improvements in the technology, techniques for that type of surgery in recent years? There have. There's been a lot of active research, uh, you know, into this area, both in trying to get the the hole in the cuff to heal, because obviously if we're doing surgery to repair the tendon, we'd like that to heal. We know that people whose tendon does heal, there are small but measurable differences in strength and function. So that's Mm -hmm. obviously a benefit there. But uh, remember, we talked about the patient who may have had a a cuff tear for a long time and did fine, and then something happened and now they become symptomatic, sometimes that's because the tear grew in size. Hmm. And the tear can actually grow so big that you can actually lose your ability to raise your arm, not just because it hurts. So we could give you an injection, numb it up, you're not having pain, but you still can't raise your arm. That's uh, uh, That's a big problem. So if the tear heals, mm-hmm. it's less likely to grow and extend. So a lot of research has been done looking at ways to make uh, repairs stronger, mm-hmm. um, more biologically uh, active, and increase healing rate. The other thing that has come up that's been a big part of my practice uh, in the last few years is that for people who don't get better with uh, physical therapy and injections, and so now we've talked to them about surgery, sometimes the tear is so big that it actually can't be repaired, Hmm. at least uh, on the top. The tear in the front we're very successful at repairing that, and that one actually heals quite well. Mm -hmm. The one in the back we can usually repair less good healing rate, but we can usually get that back. Sometimes the tear on the top is not repairable. Sometimes in that situation, and we talked about the people who the tear gets big enough, they lose their ability to raise their arm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we talked about how the rotator cuff holds the ball down. Sometimes their ball will rise statically. So we take an x-ray and the ball is not located in the socket anymore. There is a newer technique 
uh, that it, it, well, it's actually a fairly old technique from Europe, but it's newer in the United States, okay. where there is a joint replacement called a ball and socket, reverse ball and socket joint replacement that has the ability to bring that head back down. Hmm. And now because the fulcrum is restored, patient can raise their arm again. So that's been a huge development mm-hmm. in the treatment of rotator cuff pathology that's so severe that you lose your ability to raise your arm. And it can also be very helpful for pain. Of course, that replaces the entire joint. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you ever saw a picture of one, you would think (laughs) twice about having it because the ball is on the socket Mm -hmm. and the socket is where the ball used to be. So it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and of course, in a lot of people where they have a large rotator cuff, the ball is sneaking upwards. They've lost their ability to raise their arm, but the joint is still good. Mm-hmm. So in that patient population, you could argue that you may want to try to preserve the joint. Is there any way that you could restore the function? And up until very recently, um, we did not have a technique to do that. Mm-hmm. Rotator cuff repair in that setting when the ball is up does not work. Mm-hmm. In fact, most people actually get worse because of stiffness. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, they were not allowed to use the reverse ball and socket. And so a physician there named uh, Teresu uh, Mihata developed this technique where he puts a graft in where the rotator cuff tear on the top was, where the supraspinatus was. And he demonstrated that this graft has the ability to pull the ball back down Hmm. in a very high percentage of cases, and he was able to restore elevation. And this is something that's very much caught on in this country now. Mm -hmm. Um, Results haven't been quite as good as the results in Japan, but it's become a, a very important part of my practice, and I've had very good results with it. So that's a that's a very new thing, okay. I think, that's that's come along. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Sounds like definitely a lot of options when it comes to the injury. Um, definitely depends on the type of injury that someone may have. Very cool, very interesting to hear that, you know, there's a lot of newer um, research that's come out and different techniques that can potentially help people where there was not a solution in the past. Um, so that's very nice to hear. Looking at, you know, someone who, I mean, if there's a rotator cuff injury, there may be a lot of choices where should I have surgery? Should I try to go through physical therapy to heal that? Or, you know, making a lot of decisions there. Another thing to factor in is the recovery from a surgery, which I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about that after someone has a type of rotator cuff surgery, what can they expect through recovery? What's that going to be like for someone? Yeah, that's a great question because the recovery after rotator cuff is very extensive Mm -hmm. and it's fairly long and drawn out. Um, And again, a lot of this is because, you know, our goal, if possible, is to get that cuff to heal. So it turns out if you move the shoulder under your own power, you're firing the muscles and tendon units that we've repaired, and that will lead to a failure um, of the repair. And so, in general, there is a period, depending on the size of the tear, but maybe six to eight weeks of being in a sling 
and not moving the shoulder under the patient's own power. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of debate in the field about whether the patient shouldn't move at all uh, versus some passive motion mm -hmm. is okay. But in general, rehabilitation times are getting longer and longer and less and less active to leave time for healing because the healing really is an important part of this. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, whether it heals or not, pain relief is still mm -hmm. has the potential to be very good, probably in that 90% range, um, but we would like to get a healed tear if we could. Mm -hmm. Once we go through this initial healing phase of, let's say, six to eight weeks, at that point, then it's either healed or it's not healed, and um, we have people start moving actively, and we start going for full motion mm -hmm. at that point. And depending on the patient's healing response, that can be very variable as to how long that takes for that to come back. Some people make a lot of scar and they get very stiff, you know, um, and it can take a long time for that to loosen up. Now, there's a silver lining to that, which is that most people who get profoundly stiff after cuff surgery heal their cuff. So, but it's, it's painful. Sure. And it's very frustrating mm -hmm. for people to go through, like, my shoulder isn't moving, you yeah. know. And so I have a long conversation with people, multiple usually, mm -hmm. uh, about this beforehand because it's not for everybody, you mm -hmm. know. And there's people who are very good surgical candidates, in other words, that they've they've done their all their rehab, they've done injections, they've tried everything that they can, still having symptoms. And I think there's a very good chance that they'd improve with surgery, but... That rehab is just not something that they mm -hmm. either can or, you know, are willing. Some people would just rather live with the pain, yeah, right. you know, than go through that. But uh, we're looking at a good six months mm -hmm. uh, before it's really kind of coming back, oftentimes a year. The stiffness problem we talked about at a year, if they're not moving at that point, they might need another surgery mm -hmm. to take down scar tissue to get them to get them mobile wow. again. But they probably got a healed cuff in the long run. Mm -hmm. They might be better off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely good to know what the expectations are ahead of time. <clears throat> Absolutely. Before going through that surgery, and then you know, feeling like things are getting worse before better. Um, so good to know there. Kind of backtracking a little bit. Now that we know, you know, going through that surgery can or may be quite painful in the recovery, you know, after surgery, what are some things that people can do now, even if their shoulder, you know, their rotator cuff is not hurting, just proactive steps to prevent any sort of injury down the road? That's a great question. And it's, it's uh, you know, maybe not injury because that's mm -hmm. hard sure, to uh, yeah. sort of, you know, prevent, but uh, for just kind of shoulder health in mm -hmm. general. It, a lot of it's postural. If people find that that shoulder is drooping and rolling mm -hmm. forward, that can lead to this impingement process. There's as a thought that the impingement actually wears on the cuff and creates the hole. So if we could keep the shoulders you know, back in a good position, it's interesting because the cuff doesn't get strengthened with our normal activities of daily living. Sure. And with the, even when people go to the gym and do weights, they don't work on the little uh, motors deep inside. Mm -hmm. And so the rehab that we put people in is very, very different. Mm -hmm. My own personal bias is if people were doing that, they'd probably be less likely to become symptomatic. Sure. But really no evidence for yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Very interesting. Well, Dr. Miller, you've shared a lot of uh, valuable information today. Really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great. My um, pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. So... 
Thank you to our listeners as well for joining us today. Um, I hope you found this information helpful. If not for yourself, then perhaps for a family member or a friend that may be dealing with shoulder pain. If you have any questions or would like more information about Riverside Orthopedic Specialists, you can visit chooseriversideortho.com or call 815-802-7090.